Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us at the Comedy Northwest podcast. Uh, for this episode, I had Elaine Johnson. Obviously, she's always amazing as my co-host. Um, say hi. Hi. Hey. Uh, and then we had Keith Ross Nelson. We make a big deal about that during the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Oh, love God, love everybody in Oregon. So we got a little po- we got a little political, little political on this one. Um, but if you if you can take the metaphor out of that and apply it to the comedy business as we do, towards it'll the work. End there, mm-hmm. it's not so bad. It's a lot it'll, of fun. But yeah, enjoy the podcast, everybody. Welcome to the Comedy Northwest Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm sitting here with, of course, the gorgeous Elaine, who performed tonight, opened the show, did an awesome job. Thank you. Uh, And sitting here with our headliner, Keith Ross Nelson, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which we just had a conversation about of him changing his name, or not changing his name, but just elongating Adding the middle. Due to the Sean McBride fiasco (laughs) that uh, you can go back and listen to. Yeah, the Sean McBrides and the Sean McBrides. And now the Ross Nelson. So it's a comedian in California of Keith Nelson. Northern California. So now you're Keith Ross Nelson. That's right. We have to separate the two. Never twain they meet again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I wanted to sit down because we just happened to be hanging out talking about comedy and comedy business and whatnot. So I want to talk more about that because I hope that this podcast can serve as either educational for people that want to learn about it or people that are trying to get into it. Or get out because they need to go to meetings. <laughs> yes, this will serve as a warning <laughs> yeah. to people to get out while they're still alive. Um, but one thing that we were talking Your about... Your liver has just turned on you. <laughs> it's time to go to a meeting. Yeah. <clears throat> um, we were talking about the, the construct of different uh, avenues of joke telling. Um, so in the delivery, you were saying that back in the day, you had an amazing one type of delivery, and then somebody just opened your mind. Yeah, I don't know if it was an amazing delivery, but it was basically like uh, set up punchline, you know, every seven seconds, there was a joke coming. Um, and then I just kind of would bang those rhythmically off the audience. And um, then I met a guy, Paul Dudridge from England, who used to be the second biggest uh, comedy agent in England. And then he turned me on to like beginnings, middles and ends and having longer setups. More storytelling. More, Yeah. There's still a punchline at the end. It just, it's a longer setup because what happens is you don't get as many laughs per second, but you can get the audience kind of like in a, um, uh, spell, so to speak, Mm -hmm. which is what politicians do and preachers do. Yeah. So, oh yeah, that was that was one of the things that sparked this is that yeah. you said that stand-up comedy, religion and no, politics. No, show business. Oh, show business. Religion and politics are all the same. It's about who can get them under the spell. The reason Obama won the election in 2008 over Bush is not because he's smarter than Bush or because he's black. It's because he's he's his speech cadence he gets audiences under a spell. Yeah. I mean, nobody even knew who Obama was in 2004. He was just a he was like, I think, 49th ranked yeah. senator out of 50. Yeah. yeah. And then they let him give a speech um, at the Democratic National Convention. Mm-hmm. And blew he yeah. blew up. Yeah. And so, boom, four years later, he was the president. But that's why he knows how to he knows how to get an audience under his spell. Yeah. He has that cadence when he talks. Yeah. And it's like. It's hard to beat. He so, might be smarter than Bush. He might be. He probably, well, he probably, <laughs> yeah. And he Wait, probably, all of the Bushes put together, he mm-hmm. might be smarter? Yeah, he, he might possibly be smarter <laughs> than that, yes. Um, well, he's got a Yale education. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> but it's a C, Yale education. And see, one of the things that I found very interesting is that back in 2008 when he was running, I was like, of course Obama's going to win. That's all there is to it. Um, because he's not... He doesn't need to do anything during his entire presidency. There's only two things that he has to do, and he doesn't have to put effort into either of them. One, 
he has to be the first black president. Right. Like he just has to be. Which some, somehow he pulled off. Yeah. He, <laughs> that was the thing is that for the next one, especially after uh, the Clinton fiasco, Bush fiasco, all right. of that stuff, is that what we needed was a palate cleanser. Right. We needed something that we had never had before. And we needed something to just be, take up space and right. tell whatever is going to change the country completely. Right. Whatever is going to come in and fill the vacuum up. Yes. So we had Barack Obama come in and be this, oh my God, we can actually change idea. He put right. that idea out there for everybody. Right. But it's our next president that's going to be the person to actually change things. Wow, that's interesting. So Barack Obama was the one that opened the gates for us, wow. but it's the next person that's actually going to do that something. That is very interesting. Welcome so, to the Politics Northwest podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you know what book you should read that you would enjoy a lot? Yeah. It's called The 48 Rules of Power. Okay. It, other than the Bible, best book I've ever read. I've probably read it now. I'm sorry, but if the Bible is one of the best books you've ever read. Well, <laughs> the New Testament. I'm not, so, I'm not that wild about the Old Testament. But it's like, I've now read it like six times. Mm -hmm. wow. Phenomenal book. You, you would enjoy it. The Bible? No. The 48, <laughs> no. Obviously, no. The forty-eight oh. rules of power. Know your room, Keith. Know the room. You you would you would like that. Forty-eight book. rules of power. Yeah. Make a note. Yeah, it's by Robert Klein. He's like a professor from Yale. He's also written a book called The Forty-Eight Rules of Seduction, and then the other one is called uh, The Three Thirty-Three Rules of War. Interesting. Great books, man. I read The Art of War one time, which was Sun interesting. Tzu, great book. Yeah. The the one thing that I took away from that is that. If you just, all you have to do is keep an eye on your enemies. That's it. Right. The greatest advantage that you can have in this world is just knowing what your enemies are doing. You don't need to attack them. You don't need to plan for right. them, anything like that. Just being aware. You get along with my wife because she was the youngest vice governor in the history of the Philippines. Wow. And then she was the head writer in the Senate in the 90s. And um, that's one of her things is like, yeah. she never burns a bridge. She never... Uh, you never know, you never see her coming. Yeah. And this, by the way, she's the youngest vice governor in the history of the Philippines, which has the highest assassination rate of politicians in the world. Wow. They did a thing on it on Vice. I was wow. Like, I didn't even know that. I've been married to her four years and I'm watching Vice one night. I'm going, oh my God, did you know your country? She goes, oh yeah, I know that. Did you know there's probably hitmen looking for you right now? <laughs> That's a thing. That could go, be happening. Sweetie, do, I have to, do I have to sleep with one eye open? You know? <laughs> Yeah, you take the first shift tonight. Dude, she's like, I mean, she was the one that told me, we were talking about the Iraq thing yeah. one time, early in the marriage, like in 2004 or five, and she said to me, uh, she said, the U.S. is really stupid for invading Iraq. And I go, why do you say that? She goes, because there's some countries that can't handle democracy. Yeah. And, and she, as soon as she said it, I'm like, yeah, 6,000 years they've been under a dictatorship. Yeah. You know, it's like us coming in and giving them democracy. It's like leave, being the 11th boyfriend in after yeah. 10 boyfriends have abused the girl. Yeah. She's going to chew you up. Yeah. And then she said to me, she goes, it's like our country, the Philippines. She says, we're kind of a half dictatorship, half democracy. Yeah. Because the U.S. has been there for 100 years. And so we can kind of handle it, but we still need a strong hand. Yeah. And then she says in another 100, 200 years, we'll be able to handle yeah. full-blown democracy. Yeah. But it's like we always think that we know what's better for another group of people. Yeah. But it's like they have to be ready yeah. to handle what you want to hand them. You oh, know? yeah. Well, and see, this is – and in fact, I will, I will even give credit to Tony G. We were smoking at one point in time, and he said this, and it was so absurd in my mind that it stuck with me which is that we are the United States of America. We've been here for just over 200 years or so. That's, that's an infant child compared to a majority of the countries out there in the world. Right. And this is based on how old they are from civilization right. being birthed. Because, right. I mean, the Middle East, they've had people running around there this entire time, but civilization right. has only been there for so long. Right. So for this, you know, to have a 14-year-old middle schooler going to these elementary school kids and saying, hey, no, this is how you're supposed to live your life, it's a little ridiculous. Right. Because I don't want a 14-year-old telling anybody what to do in the world. That right, does right, not right. sound like fun whatsoever. Right. 
So there's countries like most of Europe, they're not like at least if not out of high school, they have just gotten out of college sort of a deal. They've been through this enough. They've seen so many horrible things happen with their civilization that it's just a process that civilizations have to go through for this sort of a thing. And we just happen to be a civilization called the United States of America. So based off of that, we are still young. We still have another 300 years of adversity and horrible things to go through, just like every other country that's a thousand year old, that's a thousand years old at this point. So it's, it's interesting to not only look at where I am in this country, but then to look at this country where it is in the world in the same perspective, sort of a deal. It's weird to put that comparative scenario in your mind and just be like, God, when I was... When I was 14, I thought I knew everything. I right. thought I was the best person in the world. Right, right. Oh, that sounds just like the United States of America right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and then we 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 double down. Yeah. Going to Afghanistan, a country, by the way, that has never in its history lost a war. Yeah. Yeah. They've never lost a war. They everybody knows about the Soviets, mm-hmm. you know, going in from yeah. 80 to 90 and getting their ass kicked. Yeah. But you know what? The British went in there in 1865 with 1,265 soldiers. Mm -hmm. They left with 10. Yeah. And they got their ass kicked. Yeah. It's like... There's been... Oh, my God. It's not even... Any country from the Middle East is not is rarely even the one fighting the battles half the time. It's all these other countries fighting over... Here's why I think they always win. Is because what they have is less important to them than the rest of the world which is usually any sort of export, which in this case is usually oil and stuff like that. It's that they use maybe 5% of the oil that the United States uses on an annual basis. And they think, well, we don't need this so bad. We're willing to fight for anything just to keep our country where we think that the resources and the land is more important than the people, which is why we just keep throwing things at it and just coming out almost empty-handed. One of the questions is, well, here let's let's backtrack. If you look, <laughs> if you look at our country, I mean, and we're a great country. Oh, there's yeah. no doubt about it, and we're the most powerful country. But think about it. We, it's a, it was a stalemate in the Korean War. Mm-hmm. You could argue we lost Vietnam. Oh okay? God, yeah. We won. nobody nobody won Vietnam. <laughs> nobody won. I don't, and I would say I would argue that we lost. So then you go to ninety one. We won that one only because Bush. The first Bush, yeah. who before he was president was head of the CIA, yeah. was yeah. smart enough not to go into Iraq. He knew what would happen, yeah. which his son yeah. obviously wasn't smart enough. So, as great as we are, if you other than the ninety one, the only war we've won, we won World War One and World War Two. Yeah, but you could even World War Two, okay? But that wasn't even us. That was us. Ten other ten other countries versus you one could hear it's even more than that. Okay, the European part. The only reason we won that war, it wasn't because of Normandy. It was yeah. because Hitler went into Russia in the winter. He made. He made the same mistake as Napoleon. Yeah. He, tr- he was winning the war. The Germans were winning. Yeah. Okay? And then he said, oh, let's try to fight a war on two fronts. Mm-hmm. Not only that, let's try to fight a war against a people who are used to fighting wars in the worst weather. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Now, then you go to the Pacific. The only reason we won that is because we nuked them twice. Yeah. We, we did the ultimate, yeah. you know what? Yeah. I'll show you who the boss is. Yeah. But Japan wouldn't have surrendered otherwise. Mm-hmm. So we kind of won those. I don't want to say, I don't want to, like, my dad's a vet and stuff, and I don't want to, like, what's the word? Um, minimize what they did. Minimize yeah. what they did. That's not oh, what yeah. I'm saying here. What I'm saying is we're not, our big boy pants aren't as big as we think. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the other thing I was going to get to is, you should never go into a war unless you can answer the question, if we win, well, first of all, if we lose, then what are we going to do? That's the first question. But the second one that's more important, if we win and we create a vacuum, yeah, which is what happens when you yeah. win, what is going to fill that vacuum? Yeah. And if you can't answer that question, 
then you don't go to war. And we didn't do that with Iraq. Yeah, we won, and now look what we got. We yeah. got ISIS, we got Iran. You had Iran and Iraq. You had two pit bulls that didn't each like each other right next door. Yeah. You know what? That's like one, that's Sun Tzu. The, yeah. the two dogs are at each other's throat. Walk around them and leave it alone. It's none of our business. Yeah. And they're two bad pit bulls. Yeah. As long as they're fighting with each other, good. Yeah. They're not dealing with the rest of us. Yeah. Now what do we do? We eliminated one pit bull. Yeah. And now we got a cluster screw. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's what really sucks about the whole thing is that in order to get rid of one pit bull, we had to give weapons to the other pit bull. And yeah. now that pit bull with the weapons That's is turning around not only on that country, but is right. now turning on us. So we give some to the other pit bull. And then it's all, we should have just it's, let, leave them alone, yeah. let them do oh it. Oh my gosh, now you got problems in Syria. You yeah. really started the domino effect is yeah. what you did. And as yeah. bad as Saddam Hussein was, he kept the Sunnis, the Sunnis, and the Kurds, and the what's the other one? I can't remember. Oh, the trifecta. People, the, the, everybody the, won that one. <laughs> he kept them from biting yeah. each other's heads off. So it's like, good, leave him there. Yeah, leave it alone. <sighs> I feel like there's going to be a quiz at the end of this podcast. Yeah, I know. Well, and see, this is another thing that we were talking about: is that. Um, like, I have my competitors. We were talking about the assholes in the industry. Right, right. And I quickly figured out is that you can't just take the assholes out. That's no. not going to happen. What you can do is create your own bubble within this community and just force them out by getting other people into you know your you, bubble. You know what the best... This, this is... <sighs> when I met this guy, Dudridge, and we were talking about this earlier, he... I have, like, three mantras... One was kind of the kung fu thing we were talking about earlier. Yeah. But the, one of my one of my favorite sayings. It's in my top three, and it's a really good one for me because I'm Irish and I have a short fuse and I don't like be, I don't <laughs> like being pushed into corners and stuff. Yeah. And it caused me a lot of problems because when I didn't have management, I I got burned out of a lot of rooms because the bookers would be assholes. You know, I'd say something and it's yeah. like I shouldn't have said something. I should reward good behavior, ignore bad. Yeah. Yeah. The best thing. Probably the best thing anybody ever told me. So that's what I've got. And the Kung Fu has helped because it's calmed me down, doing those forms over and over to teach you patience. So every time I want to say something, I'm going, let it go. Inside I say, let it go. And yeah. Let it, and it's so much better because I just avoid all those assholes you're talking about. Yeah. There but is... it's hard because it's like when they're constantly yeah. at you, it's very hard not to respond or... You know, if you can reason with them, great. But if you can't, go around them and move to the next yeah. person. It's there are people that have absolutely nothing to do with comedy that somehow come into a power position within comedy, Ugh. and it's usually some sort of bar manager or yeah, yeah. entertainment advisor or yeah. something like that, who is usually in charge of making sure that there is a DJ or a band there whenever. Just yeah. making sure there's entertainment. Yeah, they were food and beverage, and now yeah, they're yeah, 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 exactly. Now. Which just pisses me off, which is what started my whole vendetta into this whole thing, is that there, I mean, in the boom of the late 80s, early 90s sort of a deal, there right. were performers and there were bookers. And based off of that, performers were performing, bookers were booking, things were good. Right. And then bookers realized that they could start, there were so many comedians out there, they could just start picking and choosing and taking advantage of the situation. Right. So now it has evolved to the point where anybody, venues or bookers that aren't a part of comedy don't know how to treat comedians. Right. They think that they are, they are just a Cow. beer. Yeah, they are, you, you are currently a beer that is on tap. So we are going to attempt to sell that. And as soon as it's empty... We're done. That's right. it. We've gotten everything out of you that we can. Right. That's all we care about. So I'm trying to get to the point where I'm getting not only – like there are performers that are really good at the business side of it. So I'm trying to get those people to do the business side. So that way we can just push out all the business side people that have nothing to do with comedy. Right, 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 right. right. So it's a very slow process, but it is rewarding. I right. see my rewards here and there. you're young enough, you might pull it off. <laughs> yeah, It take you 10 to 15 years, but you could do it. Yeah, there is. for all the comics, you know? Um, there was an extremely shitty booker here in Oregon that, I mean, like, he booked nice places, good gigs, stuff like that, but towards the last couple of years, he was just, 
an asshole about it and just, I don't know, just not the nicest guy in the and world. The community's all hated it. Yeah, and yeah, people didn't like him. He wasn't paying. He was just ridiculous. Um, and eventually he fell out of power due to, um, I think it was death. Um, but yeah, with that person <laughs> passed. Death by murder. Yes, death by murder. <laughs> But here's the thing is that I felt horrible about somebody in the comedy community passing away. But at the same time, I was like, we're better off. Right, 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 right. He was making things less enjoyable for right. the rest of us that I can guarantee you oh. that 99% of the people that do comedy do it because they enjoy comedy. Right. That's where they got into Yes. It. The other 1% are assholes that are doing it to get laid or they think they're going to make yeah. it big and stuff like or that. Or they're actors and they're thinking that comedy will yes. get them more acting. Yes. Yeah. And they shouldn't be doing stand-up. But yeah, this is what I started my vendetta on was that there are people like you that work the road, that do it because they love it. Yeah. They it is an actual skill and talent that they work hard on. Right. And to have some casino manager walk up and be like, Oh, were you on stage for 45 minutes? Yeah, All right, yeah. here's a check. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, yeah. Like, what the hell? Right. No, can you at least like shake their hand, say thank you for performing? Yeah, there, and there's and it doesn't take much just to be pleasant. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's an art form. I mean, yeah. you can take Picasso, put him on stage for 45 minutes and watch him do a painting. And people would think that that's awesome and enjoy it. Right. But the booker of that venue is going to be like, oh, you're going to do one of your little doodles on stage. Yeah, yeah, OK, yeah. here's your money. Yeah, because they don't appreciate. good. Yeah, art. exactly. So that is that is my whole vendetta. And I'm hoping that someday there will be some sort of revolution and yeah. no, I've, I've gotten enough people. I've I have spread my word to enough people <laughs> that the day, it's the, German, you're the day, yeah, yes, it's germinating. I I know that eventually there'll become a day in which I can contact everybody and be like, "This is it. This is the day. This is the day." <laughs> what I need you to do is cancel every booking that you have with every asshole. Right. I will do my best to cover all of those bookings. You'll become the new Live Nation. Yeah, it, it, it will become a yeah. whole thing. Yeah. If I, if overnight I can get enough comedians to band together yeah. that I become the one and only booker in the entire country. <laughs> you know, these, this guy that, this guy that stole Pat Wilson's room. <laughs> I was really, it was really nice because I was talking to her the other day and she said that uh, almost all the comics in Seattle banded together with her and won't work the guy's room. Yeah. Which is great. That's yeah. exactly yeah. what should happen. Yeah. You know, be, and so ne now they're getting... They're already talking. The the two Alec room is already talking about like yeah. they don't know what to do because it's like really bad comics and now they signed a contract with this guy, but it's like wow. yeah. Oh, so it's, yeah, it's possible, ridiculous. You know, when good comics all get together and say, "No, nah, we're not going to take this anymore." Yeah, and see, that's what I hope for is that the the only. Well, I don't know if the only, but the number one qualification of being part of the Bend comedy community yeah. is just common sense yeah, yeah, yeah. and just humanity. Be nice. Be a human being. Yeah. The, the main, my main mantra, you were just talking about this. My main mantra is don't be a dick. Yeah, don't be a jerk. That's it. That's I all mean, there is to it. Because that guy, I can't remember his name with the glasses that came to the show tonight. He said does comedy sometimes. Yeah. Juan. I mean, he came over to me and he was just like... Yeah. So nice to me. Yeah. Kept saying, man, I really enjoyed your show. And it was like, yeah. Yeah. It was like, thank you. I mean, just really nice. Yeah. Thanks for coming. And yeah. Yeah. It's like, wow. Okay. Like, it's, I mean, it's bad to say that I have sort of a second underhand, like, scenario that I'm trying to run on these people at the same time. But, like, the secret, the only secret that I'm trying to pull over on these open micers that come in here and become a part of Bend Comedy. The one thing is I'm trying to groom them just to just be nice people right. and appreciative of everybody else in the comedy community. Right. That's it. And that's a good thing. Man. Yeah. All you need is respect for your peers. That's all you need to make it with Bend Comedy. Right. So as long as you have that, everything else goes fine. Right. So, I mean, I book, I book local people for all the shows. Um, yeah, one of my rules is that there is also, there is always one local person performing in the show, not just the host. Fantastic. Yeah. And we have enough local talent here that I love giving them the opportunity, but we were talking about this the other day is that not only am I giving all these people an opportunity, but the downside is that I'm giving all of these people an opportunity. 
which means that as soon as any of these people try to leave Ben to do a show, they're going to have no idea what to do because I've been serving them these gigs on a silver platter. And as soon as they don't know how to, they don't know how to go out and book their own shows. And that's, I, I, I can tell them how to do it, but I have done everything I can as like a venue and a booker and a manager of giving them the business side of everything. And that's the one thing that I can't give them is a hard, you know, booking, like telling them, say, no, go on Facebook, look up this show, look up this person, contact them, give them a video, do all of this and do all of that. And have a good video. And that is, I mean, as soon as you get your stage presence, that is the next thing you need to learn how to do. I'm just not sure how to get to that. When you, when did you start doing comedy? (laughs) So what was it like getting started? Well, then it was so much easier. Like you said, because yeah, well, yeah, that '86 would have been just the start of the boom. Oh god, it was great from '86 to probably '95. Yeah, I mean, it was just—I was getting, I was doing funny bones, eighty eighty-eight to ninety. I middled all the funny bones. I was getting eight and nine hundred to middle. Wow. Oh, wow. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And then I was like bottom tier headlining in the 90s and was getting like 17 a week. Jeez. It was great. Yeah. You know, and then then what what really screwed things up is when these guys in the big cities, they started doing the bringer shows. Yeah. That's really messed up comedy because, yeah. you know, before you had to... You had to um, you had to work your way up. Yeah. You had to work. You had to have twenty minutes. Yeah. And even opening money was was okay. It was three hundred for the week, which wasn't great. But you'd at least could eat for the week and come home with hundred bucks on the road. Jesus. But the openers were good. They yeah. they had twenty minutes, and so you had an opener, and then you had a middle that did thirty, and every you know there was a lot of gu- I mean, this is how long I've been doing. It. Steve Harvey middled for me. Uh, Rocky Lepore mm-hmm. and Ron White. Wow. I had to follow them in the late 90s. Wow. And so I'm still struggling, but they made it. But that's just, you yeah. know, that's the way it goes sometimes. But but I know I can follow them, and I used to follow them, mm-hmm. you see. But it was like, then when they started doing the bringer shows, and uh, then when it, I mean, it's good now. I mean, because you got guys that, well, I got this many friends, and I can get this many but it's like they don't have 45 minutes. They can't really – they yeah. so they get booked, and then you're only going to get booked that way. If you don't have the 45 minutes, you're only going to get booked once. Yeah. yeah. And then you're just you, – you, you, you just have the story that – You oh, did that a suicide. Yeah, you did yeah. – you, you know, you did your own suicide. Yeah. So it's great you got that many friends, and you can get them to come out, but it's like – Yeah. You, well, you got to be able – I mean, you're competing against guys that are like – Yeah. It's just ridiculous. There, there's one show that we did uh, not too long ago that it's the show that never happened <laughs> because it was the one show that I did that w- I didn't stick to my rules, which was I've seen them perform live. I know them personally, or they were suggested by a headliner that right. I really trust. And somebody contacted me. I gave them the opportunity. And this is... It's a headline. Yes. Oh, no. And it was two comedians. Both of them had a strong 20 minutes. That was it. So wait a minute. So they worked. They each did twenty, and they worked, they co-headlined. It or? was somebody contacted me. Right. I'm not going to say names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would want you to. It's do a it. cool guy. Yeah. It's just he got in over his head. Right. And this is the warning that I want to give to everybody out there: is yeah. that even if you have the opportunity to headline. Don't fucking do it until you have the material. Yeah. Like, I don't care how full of yourself you are. Right. Until another and, and headliner you know, tells you that you right. are ready to headline. And not only that, just because you have 45, yeah. that doesn't mean you're ready to headline. See, that's, you should, yeah. You should have like an hour and 15 so that, you know, if they're not buying a certain thing, yeah. you got to hop to something yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah, two years ago, Tony G and I started this whole thing, and we got about six months into it in which one of our headliners didn't show up on time. Oh, no. And Tony, like, I did probably like 20 to 30 minutes, and then Tony went up there to take up time until the headliner got there, right, right. but they got stopped by a cop the next town over. Right. 
Um, and of course, being comedians, you know, the cops had, had instantly said, we need to search the car for pot right now. Oh, it's like, God no. damn it. They literally walked in as Tony was coming off stage. Oh, my God. But it was his first time ever headlining a show and he didn't even know it. I was like, okay, tell you what, um, they texted us. They made it over the mountain. They'll be here in about 20 minutes. If you can just do 20 minutes, that'll be awesome. But they got pulled over, ended up not making it at all. So he ended up being up there for about 45 minutes. So he didn't even know that he was going to, but he went up there and did a strong 45 minutes. And since that day, I was like, holy shit, I need to have 45 minutes ready to go. Not so that I can headline a show, but Just so that I case. can, yeah, so that I can pull Save myself out of a right, hole right, right. if I get into that situation. For my room. Yeah. 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 So about a year ago, I got to the point where I was like, okay, 45 minutes. I know for a fact that I can be on stage and people will enjoy the show for 45 right, minutes. Right, right, right. Um, like the game that I played tonight, like I can do that for 10, 15 yeah, minutes, yeah, take yeah. up a whole lot of time. Yeah, yeah. And it's now a year later, and now I'm to the point where, like, okay, now I have I have a strong 45. Yeah. If somebody were to ask me, I would say, yes, I can headline. I can do it confidently. Um, but this other guy that came in did about 20 minutes, really strong, really great, and then did another 20 minutes of, hey, here's almost a joke. I didn't really have a punchline, though. <laughs> like, yeah, in his second half, a majority of his jokes ended with, I don't really have a punchline. I'm still working on that one. Oh, he told him that? Yes. He said that like three times on stage. Oh no. And this is this is this is just this is just a mistake that cocky comedians make. Yeah. And you happen to get booked to open a couple of shows around the state. You start to think that you can travel anywhere and perform. But he sold himself as a headliner. He brought his own feature. And it's a show that we say never happened, never existed. <laughs> um, nice guy. I felt bad. Like if I had known him, I would have been like, N- find yourself a headliner and then come feature. Yeah. And that would have been amazing. Yeah. But he oversold himself yeah. and both him and his feature did an awesome 20 minutes, but neither of them were ready to headline. Yeah, yeah. And if anything, to the people listening, I want that to be a warning. The worst thing that you can possibly do in this business Bite is oversell. Bite off more than you can yes, chew. Yes, don't yeah. oversell yourself. Yeah. Because even if you oversell yourself and you get to the gig, one of two things is going to happen. One, you're going to be horrible and nobody will ever book you again. Or two, you will somehow miraculously be amazing for the time that you're up there. And then you're going to get booked for more headliner gigs, more, right, right, right. more important right. headliner gigs. Right. And then rather than bombing on that first headliner gig and being like, oh, I need something to learn, you're going to bomb on a bigger gig where it's far more important and much more disruptive to your career for something like that to happen. Right. So be safe. Do the material that you know how to do for the time that you know how to do. And as soon as somebody else says, hey, I think that you should move up to feature or you should do this or do that, it's... Listen to the headliners out there that have been doing it longer right. and no more. It's this is this is this is a community and a career that is entirely based on um, community and mutual respect of each other. Right, right. Because this was another thing that we were talking about earlier. Is a majority of the gigs booked nowadays are through peers that you right. are friends with, professionals that you respect, people that you work with. They can help you. Or yeah. You can help them. And I feel like this is the first sign of my big revolution is that there are headliners booking other headliners for shows rather than having bookers book comedians that they've never really had that much experience with. The guy in Portland at Harvey's, he, if you recommend somebody Mm -hmm. and they come in and they don't do well, then you're out. Yeah. 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 I'm the same way. I'm the exact same way. Wow. Um, I had one comedian recommend another. He came in, did a great show, but the process of booking this comedian, I had to contact him numerous times. He didn't give me all the information that I wanted. I needed a headshot and a bio and all this stuff. Mm. And I had to keep contacting him and keep getting him to do this. And none of it was working out. And I eventually contacted the comedian that recommended him. And I said, this doesn't look good for either of you right now. And I, I don't hold this against you personally. You recommended him. I'm sure he's hilarious, but I'm sorry. He just is not acting professional right now. Right. So either you need to explain to him that bent comedy is a very professional thing, not just some gig in a bar somewhere, but he needs to take this seriously, right, that right, this is right, a right. real gig. Yeah, yeah. 
And it still took time, but he got here. He did a great show, so I let it all go. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, if you recommend a comedian, no. Like, again, even if you don't oversell yourself, make sure that you are not overselling anybody else because right, that right. is just as bad. Because right. you're not just fucking over them. You're fucking over yourself at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Right in the hand that feeds you. Yeah. This is, this is, this is one of the few you know, job career options that is entirely based on your relationship with your peers. Yeah. And I think that that is the best way that any job should be done. I think doctors should recommend other doctors. Yeah. Yeah. DJs, uh, janitors at this point, is there some sort of janitor convention where they get together and everybody sees who's the best? Is there a janitor Yelp where they leave each other? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there should be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you, what was your first time on stage? Like, uh, fast, uh, punchline <laughs> in San Francisco, five minutes. It seemed like boom, boom. This so, was back in 86. Yeah. Really fast. How old were you at the time? Um, I don't know. 28, 29. Okay. Yeah. Later twenties. Yeah. So what were you doing before that? Uh, PE teacher. Really? Uh, I got my... I got my I got a degree in exercise physiology and then I got a minor in psych for whatever that's worth. Okay. Nice. I think the psych comes in handy. Oh in god, yes. Yeah. The we have the community college here. We're about to have a four-year college come in in the next oh, couple of years, right. OSU. Um, but here I this is anytime I go take classes, which is at least once a year. Yeah. I people ask, "Oh, what's your major? Or what kind of degree are you uh, getting?" and say, "Well, this is what I want." Um, psychology, right. theater or performance, right. um, entrepreneurial business, and did I say psychology? Mm-hmm. Psychology yeah. again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the fourth one is usually along the lines of some sort of um, graphic design or something right, like right. that, something more artistic. All things that will work in this. Yeah, all way. four of those degrees we'll are exactly what you need yeah. for comedy. in comedy. <laughs> Not only on the performance side, but on yeah. the business side yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that like there's so many people that say I dropped out of college to do comedy. It's like right. no, no, no. You need to go to college for about eight years. Yeah, no yeah. doctorate, but about four different degrees. Right, right, right. Once you have that, you will be one of the best comedians ever right, right, out right, there right, right. that's ever existed. So, but at the same time, I when I first got out of high school, I attempted to go to school for film art, and my cousin, same age, went to a four year college. He didn't touch a camera until his third year. I was oh. like, there's no way that I can do that. Like my entire life, I've been working with cameras, right. video cameras, online, graphic design, stuff like that. It's like, I can't just sit there in a math class and not talk about film stuff. Yeah, there's no yeah. point in that. And just like comedy in the film industry, we're at a point now where experience is more important than a degree. Right. If I have a resume that says I have 10 years of working for Steven Spielberg, right. that's the exact same as saying I have a four-year film oh, degree yeah. from this Probably college. Better. Yeah, 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 if anything. Yeah. Because you, anybody at this point can go pay for a degree and spend a couple of years d- taking, you know, doing high school all right, over again, right, right, right. <laughs> but being over 21. <laughs> so it's, I don't know, we're at a very limbetic time, limboetic, limbotic. There's a word in there lim- somewhere. Keep limbosis, limbiotic. I have no idea. <laughs> we're at an in-between time <laughs> where... In the next couple of years, college is going to become more free. More countries are doing this, which is far more important. But also at the yeah, same you know, time. We're the only country of like um, industrial. We're one of the few countries yeah. that charges people to go to college. Yeah. That yeah. bugs the shit out of me every Just day. Just such bullshit. Yeah. When I. <laughs> now that like cell phone cameras are much nicer, I don't have to spend as much money on books. Um, yeah. Because a lot, this is the last time that I took a class and I had to buy a book for the class. The teacher also said, don't worry, there are four copies in the library that you can check out at any time. So I'd go down to the, she'd say, okay, read chapters three and four this weekend. So you go to the library. So I'd go to the library and I'd just set the book on the table and the distance between my elbow and my hand with the camera was perfect distance over the book. And they're oh. such high quality cameras now. Turn the page, take a picture. Turn the page, take a picture. Oh, Turn the page, awesome. take a picture. Go home, wa- so yeah, so then I can just go home and read it on my phone. No nice. big deal. Save money nice. on books and all that Very good stuff. Nice. Um, so yeah, if you can find that one rich Asian kid that bought 
all of the books for that year. Yeah, yeah. You can just hang out with him for one night. Apparently, that's not my kid. She's like, <laughs> she's like really smart, but we're still buying the books. Oh. She's really smart. She's scary smart. So see, and I was the same way. I hated sitting in class. I I I hold the Redmond High School record of failing the most classes but still graduating on time. <laughs> I could have skipped an entire year of high school <laughs> and I still would have been just fine. Wow. And I just hated sitting in class, right. spending tw- like one hour a day, 12 weeks a year, trying to get this one credit. Right. And then finally, my junior year in high school, my parents were, said, oh, there's this homeschooling thing that they told us about. I was like, oh, Okay. I got through an entire class in three weeks. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's the one thing about alternative schools that's cool. These kids that get kicked out. Yeah. Then when you're at an alternative school, yeah. it's however fast you want to yeah. do it. Yeah. And some of these kids get kicked out, and then they realize, oh, I can just read the pamphlet. They'll give them a pamphlet, and when they finish mm-hmm. that pamphlet, they give them another one, and then they finish that one. Yeah. I've seen kids, like, finish school in, like, three months. Oh, God, You yes. know, they're, they're yeah. like, I'm out at 16. They take their GED, and I'm going to go to junior college. Yeah, I did an entire—I did my entire freshman year of high school in three months. Yeah. It's, like, I, I don't want to put down the public school system, yeah. teaching kids, that's important. Yeah. But a majority of kids out there need a more yeah. specific regimen. Sometimes kids are too smart to be sitting there— for four mm-hmm. years, you know, that's probably how you are. Yeah. Your mind works really fast. Like, God, do I have to sit and listen to this shit, you know, when you can just, yeah. can't we just move this along a little fast? Rather than spending all day talking about this one chapter, I could have finished the book by right. now. And then there's other kids, you could tell them the same thing 20 times, they're never going to Oh, dear God. Just dumber than a box of yeah. rods. <laughs> and that's the other side of it. And well, and that's the ones that they're, that's the one, the public school system is only as fast as their slowest child. Yeah. And yeah. unfortunately, well, yes, unfortunately, there are kids out there oh, that could have been done them. with high school in in that Do, amount of time. You know what's scary about your generation? The people that are smart are like so much smarter than my, you, like you, you're like yeah. a lot smarter than anybody I know that I grew up with. But the kids that are dumb now are really, really dumb. dumb. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's more of this gap. The yeah. middle's been chewed away, and the really the good kids are really are the top of the food chain, yeah. and the dumb kids are like, can you even get your pants on right in the morning? <laughs> I mean, just just stupid. And they think they're and the worst thing is they don't even know they're stupid. They actually think they're hip and cool. Yeah, I feel I feel like this is the curse of social media. Yeah, is that percentage wise, there are just as many people out there that are stupid and dumb as there were back then. Yeah. The issue is that we are now more readily available for these people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To communicate, they with. used to be ignored, but now they like they actually. Yeah, like like. Do you realize what you're saying? It's like, yeah. why are you other people giving credence to what this yeah. person's saying? Because yeah. this is just stupid. You know, I don't consider myself that smart of a person. But next to these people, I look like Einstein. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. Back in the day, you had to you had to appease some sort of TV producer, yeah. some sort of editor for a newspaper, something like that. You had right. to impress somebody in order to get your ideas published. Now there is Twitter media, and yeah, yeah. Facebook where anybody can say whatever they oh, want God. at any time. Yeah. And it's horrible. Everybody will be famous for 15 minutes and apparently everybody will be stupid for even longer than that. Yeah. It's oh, just depressing. <laughs> but this is, Elaine makes fun of me because I have outrageous thoughts that I think. It's like, no, I want to make my own colony on Mars. Is that such a ridiculous thought to have? You're not going to say anything, are you? <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> Much less ridiculous than what creating, uh, turning prisons into sweatshops. Yeah, I see nothing wrong with that either. Sure. They're, they're just sitting around not doing anything all day anyway. Yeah, they, they got the little kids with the little fingers in China making the blankets. Why not the yeah. prisoners? Yeah, right? exactly. I feel like giving prisoners not only some sort of occupation, but some sort of production training yeah. is more important than just having them sit there. And lift weights. Or lift weights. On Mars, and yes. then we'll talk. I'm going to put prison sweatshops on Mars, and they will be entertained by the most respectable comedians of all time. <laughs> this will be my utopia, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. He's Ryan Trauber, and he's approved this message. I have crazy thoughts. I do. Yeah. But I'm, in all honesty, I just I just want the world to be a better place. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? 
If we, and again, common sense is not as common as it used no, to be. And this it's is not common at all. That was, that's one of my stipulations is just common sense is, and I give everybody the benefit of the doubt until you give me a reason to think that you right. don't have common sense. I assume that Which you do. Which a lot of these people will give you very quickly. Yeah. Well, it's, it's here's the, here's the worst thing is that a lot of, um, less intelligent people have found that they don't need to know as much as long as they act like, like they, they know, know it. Right. Attitude now has suddenly become, oh, that's counting now for yeah. intelligence. Yeah. It's like ridiculous. It's no longer the resume. It's and you see you it even, even, on, even on TV, they don't let, and these are supposedly smart people, but they end up yelling at each other. It's like, the other, let the other person finish their thought mm -hmm. and then you talk. Mm -hmm. It, they don't, you know, you see it on Mar mm -hmm. show where they try to talk over each other and it's yeah. like, yeah. Um, yeah, when it comes to like MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, stuff like that, whenever they have something that is socially controversial, there is times in which they will have headline comedians come on and talk about it right. because they feel that they are professionals about this. Like yeah. when it comes to politics and racism and stuff like that, right. things that comedians talk about all the time, Right, right. they'll bring a comedian, comedian on and talk about it. And what's hilarious is that 90% of the time it ends the exact same way right. is that they will have whoever the host is, they'll have two or three talking heads from whatever political party about whatever. And then a comedian and it ends the exact same way every single time, which is the comedian going on a rant saying, all of you are complete assholes. You have no idea what you're talking about. I don't even know what I'm talking about, which means that none of us should be here right now. We are polluting the American ideal, right. everything that they are thinking. You are all horrible people. And then it always ends with the host going, well, all right, thank you, everybody. We're going to go now that this has completely got out of hand. But then the comedian is ranting about, no, we need common sense. You need to stop poisoning America. Right. What you're talking about is pointless. Do you realize that people are dying? Like Americans are dying overseas right now. And you're talking about some person being called black. Right. And that's usually how it ends right, right. is with the comedian making the most sense out right, of everybody. Right, right, right. <laughs> You know, oh. you're supposed to read two different newspapers a day yeah. or watch Fox News yeah. on Monday and then CNBC on Tuesday yeah. and then come to an informed opinion yourself. Yeah. You're not supposed to just believe whatever's <coughs> coming through the tube or a newspaper. Yeah. You're supposed to make an informed hypothesis or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Thoughts of your own. Yeah. <sighs> it's... Yeah. Um, oh, shit, I had somewhere. I was going to go with this. The, yeah, people are just trying to sell commercials at this point. Every news station is trying to sell commercials, and that's what bugs me. I have a friend. I was working at the college newspaper here, and I have a friend up in Canada. <clears throat> just this last year, they had a shooting at one of their political buildings. I can't remember what it was exactly. Um, a couple of people shot. I think one person died, including the shooter. Um, and their media covered it saying this person went into this place, shot these people. It was taken care of. There's the news in America. They would have spent 48 hours straight yeah. talking about the politics of this person, why this person had access yeah, yeah, yeah. to a weapon. Yeah. Why didn't these officials know that right, this right. person, mental health, gun control, politics, was he homosexual? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's American news. Yeah, yeah. And it just bugs the crap out of me. We are... We're controlling. I, just wanted, I only want an answer to one thing. Did you catch him and is he locked up now? Yeah, exactly. End of story. Yeah. I don't want to know what he, bad child he, he yeah. did. So, he shot somebody, lock him up. Yeah. End of story. Um, I like to compare our current media to the Spanish, Spanish Inquisition. Huh. It's because roughly about the same time frame into England and most of Europe is the same time frame that we're currently in with America. Oh, okay. And in the same sense that they went out there trying to convince people to believe one thing that they wanted them to believe, yeah. our media is trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Is that they're trying to go out there and scare people into believing what our news media wants us to believe. Right. Whether it's right wing or yeah. left wing or Tea Party. Or and yeah, and if you disagree, they will they will sling you up on the Iron Maiden and, and or you know, whatever. Politics is supposed to be, okay, you're over here and you believe this and you're over here. Let's see if we can meet in the middle and find a nice compromise. Yeah. 
that maybe you know that is the point of politics that's exactly the point of politics this is why i love watching british c-span right is because like watching american c-span one politician says something that makes absolutely no sense not only because it's words that you don't understand but because it is the most boring thing you have ever heard in your entire life and then they just go and back Back and right. forth. They're just saying the same sentence over and over again, back and or forth. Filibustering for an hour. or doing some. Yes, filibustering. Screw it up. That or, is the word I was looking right. for. In British politics, they like if one guy is talking too long, another guy will like just stand up and be like, Would you shut up, you fucking twat? <laughs> and just be like, No, you shut up, you fucking twat. I'm fucking talking right now. And if the guy is that passionate about it, he continues to talk. They let him do that. Like, they challenge them, like, personally. Yeah. Like, do you really believe what you're saying right now, or did somebody pay you to say that? Because that's what C-SPAN is all about. Like, who's paying them to go out there and say what they want them to say? Which lobbyist or company? Exactly. So, Elaine, how are you doing? Good, good. You doing good over there? Yeah. Enjoying yourself? Yeah. So much for okay. a few minutes, huh? Yeah, I know. She's okay. decided to do this for a couple minutes. We are, what are we? We're just over 50 minutes here. Yeah. We're uh, all right. Let's get in. Let's get back into the comedy stuff here. Okay. We talked about politics yeah, enough. Yeah, we did. Um, started in the mid-80s. First time went by very fast. Uh, what is your writing process? Oh, boy. That's a really tough question. Um... I just try to get as much information in as I can, and then you just try to push it back out, you know? Um, so when you push it back out, do you do that on stage, or do you sit and no, write? No, no. I try to... No. I try to I try to write. I don't... People that say that, I think, are full of crap. Very few... <laughs> look, yeah, you can go up and try to do that, uh, I mean, there's certain guys that can do it. I, mem- I remember Jim Carrey did six months going up at the comedy store every night for six months with nothing. Yeah. And then he would just see what he could do. Yeah. But how many people are Jim Carrey? Not very many. Yeah. Not very many. So um, now sometimes I'm up there and I'll say something. You know, I've had something I wrote. And then uh, like tonight, I did a new bit about... Uh, because I kept re- about age is just a number, and then I talked about uh, the twenty seven club, all the rockers yeah. that died at twenty seven, and then I tried to tag it with two more, and one worked and one didn't, and that was off the top of my head. Yeah, but so you you know you you but I already had something that was planned, and then I tried to tag it. Yeah. So yeah, I do that sometimes, and then sometimes I'm good at like I can stop and talk to people in the audience and riff. Um, which is another process because it used to be when somebody would say something to me, then I'd try to nail them right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I then then you then you evolve to where it's like, oh, you want to talk, and you mm-hmm. stop and let them talk mm-hmm. because if you let them talk, they'll eventually make a mistake. Yeah, yeah. and then you get them. But you, what you want to do. So many comedians, like, they try to get them right away and get them hard, whereas as if you get them easy. See, when somebody first heckles you, the audience is half on the comedian's side and half on the audience side. Yeah. So if you slam them, you can get a big laugh, but sometimes then you turn the audience on yeah. you. Whereas yeah. if you hit them easy shots, you can, if you, if when, once you've done a lot of shows, then you realize if you, you hit them easy shots and they keep going... Then you hit them a little harder and a little yeah. harder till you feel the audience swing to your side. Once you realize the audience really wants them to stop, yeah. then you hammer. can bring out the hammer, you yeah. know, nail them. Well, but but in the end, you don't even want to do that because the idea, like like people come up to me even when I'm pissed at them, you know, which yeah. happens sometimes where it's like, God, I wish this guy would just shut up. He's an idiot. <laughs> He's drunk. But they'll come up to me after the show. They go, hey, man, I hope I didn't upset you. Yeah. I never say... Yeah, you did. You were a jerk. I never say that. I always say, did you have a good time? 
And then the guy, they'll almost always say, yeah, I had a good time. I go, that's all that matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because you want them to come back. Yeah. yeah. There's you know, comfort there, though. Yeah. I think you have to be comfortable with your yourself on stage yeah. to be able to do that. And that's right. why people sometimes want to hammer them hard is right. like, I'm afraid of what's going to come. And do I really want them to come yeah. back? Probably not. But it's like, <laughs> why? that comes back to Sun Tzu and what we're talking about. Yeah. Why make enemies that you don't need, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I always try to be more inclusive now. I want everybody to have a good time. And that was another big thing. And I've only done that in the last four years where it's like, before it was always like, how hard can I make them laugh? And so it's like, like when you said community, they're part of the community. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So it's like, you know, they're as important as me. I'm not more important because I'm standing up there making a joke. We're in this together and I want everybody to have a good time. And I really like... Versus like a guy that just wants to get laid or some, like, I won't necessarily stand there and hang out for three hours. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, you, you yeah. know, they, oh, I'm going to hang out for three hours to see how many people like, hey, you did a really good job. Yeah. But I want them to believe and I, hey, I hope you had a good time and stuff. I really value that now. I, I hope they liked me and I hope they had a good time and then I get paid and everything's mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. But you're right about like, but you have to look at it like a community. Mm. You know, it's like if you're middling and you're supposed to do 30 minutes, do 2930 yeah. and get off. Yeah. And I don't care what you do. Shoot a ping pong ball out of your ass. <laughs> but, you know, some of these middles, they'll try to do 35 or 40. And yeah. then, then they say, well, you couldn't follow me. Well, you went over your time by 10 yeah. minutes. You screwed up the, you screwed well, up the yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah, I can't follow you because you fucked it up. You fucked it up. You don't care about the community. Yeah. You're selfish. Yes. So, you know, do what you're supposed to do and do it really well and then yeah. let the person do what they do really well, yeah. whether it's the booker or the audience or the comic. Yeah. And that's kind of where I'm at now because I enjoy, but I have a different life than, you know, I enjoy my wife. I enjoy being home with her. Yeah. I enjoy comedy. I enjoy meeting people now because yeah. I like myself now. Yeah. You know, I'm not. So, so many comics don't even like themselves. Yeah. So how can, if you don't like yourself, how are you going to like other people, you know? Yeah. We had, for a short period of time this last year, we had a secondary venue that was, we were just doing it for the fun of it, trying to fill time, bring in people on a Wednesday night, yeah. nonetheless. Um, and I said, okay, I can give you an hour and a half of comedy for this price every week. Sounds good. So a lot of the open micers, this was their first opportunity to perform. I'd give them 10 minutes at a place that was slightly just as much fun, a nice place. I don't want to say anything bad about it. But when it came to comedy, just slightly less important than what we were doing at Summit. So at Summit, I bring the headliners, people from all over the country. And then this other place was where the local people were either getting their time or just starting out. And there was that last night that we did it there, they canceled it without any notice. And I was like, I just can't deal with this anymore. This is too unprofessional. But one of the open micers who this was their first opportunity to perform decided that, oh, since I got to perform in a show, I'm a comedian (laughs) and I should be treated as such. So it was the show started at like eight and it was six o'clock. And I told this comedian, no, we're just not doing it tonight. And he got pissed off, not only at me for some reason, I don't know how it's my fault, but the venue and everything else. He instantly started going out and calling and contacting every single person he knew that had anything to do with any venue in all of Central Oregon, trying to book a comedy show for that night. And what's worse is that the later it got into the night, the less he cared about other comedians. So it was to the point where he was calling the shittiest bars in town saying, hey, can I come do five minutes tonight at your bar? And it's just like, and I I tried to talk to him. I was like, you can't do this, okay? It's not so much that you are doing this. It's that that this is happening in the community. What you're doing is going out and telling all these venues who may eventually have comedy that comedy is a cheap last minute thing that takes absolutely no effort or thought whatsoever. Not only that. And that there's a bunch of comics that are crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They don't want, who wants to deal with crazy? They don't, yeah. these people, that yeah, these comedians don't even know what they're doing. Yeah. So this one person was oh taking the entire God. community back years yeah. and like just months of what I had put into this. Right. And everything that I do is to build the respect of not only us and what we do, but stand-up comedians in right. general. 
So a lot of the venues that I've turned down, it's because they don't show us enough respect. They don't appreciate what we do enough. And they will never have comedy there (laughs) because of that. Right. So for this one person to go out there and just be ridiculous, and I can understand, like, if he went out there and tried to do it, that's fine. But with everything that I've built with Bend Comedy and him using the Bend Comedy name as like, oh, I perform with Bend Comedy. No, you don't. No, you don't. Please don't use our name. Exactly. (laughs) And I attempted to explain to him, listen, you are cheapening and bringing down everybody else in the community. You need to stop doing this. At which point he took it a personal again, took everything extremely personal. Like the the venue canceling the show, he thought that was all him. He thought, why me? That's the problem with some of these guys that are open micers, man. Yeah. It's like when if I meet somebody that's doing an open mic and they're pretty good, you know, I yeah. tell them, find headliners that are nice people. Yeah. Talk to them. Don't talk to other open micers. Yeah. yeah. Because they're all, they're very negative when they first start out. Yeah. It's better to meet guys that have been doing it a while that are comfortable in their skin and are going to be nice to you, you know? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I. You know what? I, according to him... It makes perfect sense that if I want to be president someday, what I need to do is go out to every civilian and say, I want to be president, and then start asking all of the local senators, how do I become president? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't quite work out. doesn't make sense. Like, you just... Common sense is not just common sense about how you act. It's about common sense of how you treat other people. Well, look at the Bryce And side. society. He's not up on a building with a scope rifle. So that, you know. I would not put it past him. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm saying. God. It's, I don't know. Some people are just so out for their se- themselves. Yeah. And, and you just got to try to, again, go around them and just avoid them if yeah, you can. Yeah, exactly. The, yeah, this, well, and what's hilarious is that this one person, I said, I can't, I can't book you for any shows if you're like this. And he took it personal. He said, he went on Facebook, bend comedy kicks me out and this, that. I was like, I didn't kick you out. Like you can come be part of the open mic, but I just, I'm not booking you because you aren't that good of a comedian. And there's a couple of other people in town that I've told that to. There's one other person that's tried really hard to be a comedian and did this whole thing. So this guy, who I kicked out, went and teamed up with this other guy, who was just a train wreck altogether. So yeah, pain. It's right back to the the twenty seven thing. Yeah, that, that they did the the scientists because they were trying to figure out why all these rock stars were dying at twenty seven. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it was like bad childhood, which then they, to, you know. Uh, to express that, they become musicians, yeah. and then pain attracts pain. So a lot of times, they not only do they overdose, their girlfriend with them overdoses, yeah. or like some of the like four or five of the women, the boyfriend strangled them or yeah. something. Yeah. So it's like it wasn't all plane crashes. You know, Hendrix was drugs, Morrison yeah. was drugs, Joplin was drugs, yeah. Cobain, suicide, but he had a drug problem. So it's yeah. like. Pain is attracted to pain. I mean, Courtney Love was with him. I mean, you got exactly what you just said, two train wrecks. Yeah. You know, it's like what I was saying about the Kung Fu. Here comes an asshole. I can get in the fight with him. But And I always tell kids, if you're in a car and you're driving your car, would you drive your car on the other side of the road and smash into a car coming the other way? And the kid goes, no, that's stupid. I go, okay, you're in a good lane, right? Yeah. Yeah. Here comes an asshole. Why would you get in his lane? God has him in an asshole lane. You're impeding his progress. Yes. God has him in that lane for a reason. Stay in your lane and let him run into another asshole. Exactly. So that's what those two guys did. So yes. good. Again, we have Iran and Iraq. Yes. Two open micers. <laughs> oh, my God. Torch. What a... What a m- Boy, is that a metaphor. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> it, man. I'm trying to make that my catchphrase. Boy, is that a metaphor? With their beginning, MC. middle, yeah. end. Holy shit. Yeah, they are pretty much... Yeah. I am... I am America. I'm new. I'm starting out. Yeah. I'm doing this. But unlike America, I'm going slower. I am being more perspective on the outside yeah. world. But then I have this Iran and Iraq issue yeah. over here. And even if they teamed up against America, they yeah. still wouldn't win. And these two comics, they're not even really comics yet. So, again, they haven't even gone through the industrialized yeah. age like America. Yeah. Yeah, just let them. Yeah, good. Yeah. Good. They're fighting among themselves now or feeding off each yeah. other. 
good. That's good for Ben comedy. Yes. They should and be over in a corner feeding off each other. That's perfect. Well, and see, this is why I feel like my whole revolution with comedy will be successful is because I don't need to do anything. Yeah. That even if I disappeared, I feel that naturally over time, yeah. it wouldn't be as strong or as big of a deal yeah. if, as I were to make it. But eventually over time... Common sense comedians right. would start pushing these assholes right. out of the Darwin, way. Darwin, hopefully Darwin takes over. Yeah, and, and yeah, like one of the most enjoyable things that I've had since I've started this is I started it two years ago. About a year ago, I started getting in trouble with this guy. He just kept giving me shit, kept sabotaging my shows, all of this shit. And I started making a big deal out of it and like trying to do shit about it and like stop him and right. this, that, and the other. And then I stopped. I was just like, oh, wait, everything that he's done to me. He also did to himself. Right. Which means that he kamikaze this. Right. Is that in order to destroy me, he had to destroy himself in the process. Right. And I was like, if I just take myself out of the equation and he continues to do what he does, right. he's no He'll, longer driving his Japanese right. plane into my ship. Right. He's just driving it into whatever right. hillside he finds first. So <laughs> the last year, I have just, all I've had to do is sit and relax and just watch this train wreck happen. Right. And you're not even involved. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's one of the one of the 48 rules of power is stay away from infectious people. Yes. And all the 48 rules of power, most of them, I'd say 40 of the 48 have what's called reversals where you don't have to you apply the rule. Yeah. That's one of the rules that has no reversal. In fact, it says this rule has no reversal. Uh, ignore this rule at your own peril. In other words, <laughs> if you let infectious people around you or give them attention, they will eventually infect you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, since I've started Ben Comedy, the one thing that I've realized is that if anybody has anything negative towards me and my business, I want nothing, nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. 100% do not yeah. want this person anywhere yeah. in my life whatsoever. Yeah. And until they can prove to me otherwise, right. I'm going to continue to do so. Yep. Just ignore them. Yeah. It's best thing you can do. I don't need any negativity. It doesn't do me any no. good. And removing it has actually made me no. a better person. Yeah. <sighs> well, I think that's the moral that we're trying to get to here, everybody. Is that if horrible things are happening, just let the horrible things happen yeah. and better yourself. Hang around good people and yeah. try to be a good person. Yeah. That's all Very simple. Doing. So, from everybody here, Elaine Johnson, thank you for joining us. Sure. If we got, She's if a would, trooper, man. I know. She wouldn't fucking shut up this entire time. Yeah. Chatty cat. And just kept going. <laughs> thank chatty. you for hanging out with us. <laughs> sure. Um, no, I want to give Lane, Elaine props. She yes. is the one that um, edits the podcast. Um, so, the last however many episodes you've been listening to, it is... She is the one that has made that happen. And this is going to be a tough one to edit now. Yes, this is going to be ridiculous. I want to see if I can get the very strong, serious politician part after the comedy stuff. If we mix that around, I don't know. I think it was a very enjoyable podcast. But also, Keith Ross Nelson. Yes. Keith Ross Nelson. Thank you. Not the Northern California Keith Ross. No. Not as good. Keith Nelson. Keith Nelson. Yeah, he's Keith Nelson. I'm Keith Ross Nelson. I'll bleep that out. That we All put right. the Ross in so I don't get mixed up with him. Yeah. Uh, tag Twitter, Facebook, Facebook. Instagram. Yeah. On Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Where can they find you? Facebook.com. Uh, Keith Ross Nelson. Keith yeah, Ross I guess. Nelson. I don't know. I don't know. That Somewhere on there. Just Google him. Just You'll look find him. Up. I got I gotta get a fan page up because I got five thousand friends. Oh. Yeah. So I'm at, well, four thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. So <laughs> I got I gotta get a I seriously God, today God. I went I went to five thousand and Somebody wow. dropped me, and so I'm like, so now I got to get a fan page going. So I guess that's God's way of saying, get a fan page going. That's right. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Keith very Nelson much. out very there, nice and of course, Elaine. We'll see if we can get her on more podcasts. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Have a good night. <laughs>